Addiction is a chronic disease. Millions of people worldwide suffer from substance and behavioral addictions. An addict's life is often unmanageable, leaving the addict and his or her family and friends feeling completely powerless over the disease. Without treatment, addiction can result in disability or premature death. You are listening to Making an Addict. My name is DJ Burr, and I'm an addict in long-term recovery. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, now available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I intend to bring you different perspectives about addiction from various sources, including other addicts in recovery, clinicians who treat recovering addicts, and families and friends of addicts to discover what makes an addict. Discretion is advised. To learn more about this podcast, check us out at makinganaddict.com or follow me on social media at djburr1022 on Facebook or the djburr on Instagram. It is the finale, folks. Thank you so much for joining me for the last 20 episodes. This is episode 21, and I'm really excited to share the story with you. I sat down with my colleague, Christina Cook, and she and I were able to just go really deep into talking about addiction and recovery. So sit back and relax and listen to the finale of Making an Addict. We'll be back in 2018. You can catch me on my other podcast, Journey On, Survivors Healing from Sexual Abuse and Assault, at journeyonpod.com, or you can find it on iTunes or Google Play. That uh, new season will start on October the 1st. Thank you for being here. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us for Making an Addict. This is DJ Burr, and I am here today with my colleague, Christina Cook, and she is going to be talking to us about addiction. Yay, Yay, welcome. Thank you. Christina, tell our audience about yourself. What would you like to know about me? Well, where are you, and you know, where do you practice, and what do you practice? I am a therapist in Fremont, at Fremont Healing Arts. Uh, my practice name is Mindful Presence, and I um, went to school, uh, graduated from last year um, from the graduate program in 2009, and uh, of course, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of therapists feel this way, but I felt ill-equipped. <laughs> when I got done with grad school. <laughs> I hear you, yes. <laughs> so I went on to um, get my chemical dependency add, added on to my degree as well as being a therapist and working so I could work with addiction. Um, and then also became a Hakomi therapist, um, oh. which is a psycho or psycho. It is a body-oriented type of therapy and mindfulness-oriented. So I'm a little nervous. Sorry. That's all right. Um, and um, it's just a really great way for some people to tap into what's going on with them rather than going up in the head and thinking about things. There's a lot going on with the body that people are unaware of. Yes. Um, and... I, for one, am one of those people, and I really enjoy, like, what's, what's, um, so, for example, what would I do? So, I, it's like I give an offering. I offer something like, you're welcome here. I ask you to get mindful, and maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable with that, and I'll say those words to you, and some, for some people, words come up in their head and say, no, I'm not. 
Mm. And then I'll work with that part of you that doesn't feel like it's welcome. And wow. where does that where does that thought come from? Where does it reside in your body? Is it in your solar plexus? Is it in your arm? Do you feel tingly sensation in your body? And just work with all of the sensations that that people get. I know? love this. Yeah. yeah, I mean I can remember like not even knowing what my body was thinking or what was going on in my body when I first got into recovery. Mm -hmm. I was all in my head and my therapist says your your head is the, the most dangerous neighborhood in <laughs> exactly, town. Get exactly, out of it. And exactly. I was like, oh, my word, that's so hard, <laughs> right? Because I think some of us are trained to stay in our heads, yes. right? And with a lot of trauma and such, we can live up there because it's too scary elsewhere. Exactly. So I'm hearing that you create a safe space for people and invite them exactly. to explore. And I appreciate that, yeah. that, that you offer that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. How long have you been a therapist? I uh, I started my practice in 2011. Okay. And have been slowly building my practice. I do no insurance. So Yay. It's been a slow process. Some people get on insurance panels right away to get you know get out there, get their name out there, and I just I'm so, <laughs> I'm a I I have a rebellious nature, and I am so not. <laughs> You're in the right place. <laughs> not authoritarian. Please do not uh, give me authority over me. Yes. Um, and just, you know, fighting the man. Right. <laughs> so and I say yay because I was on insurance and I got off. Um, they have so many limitations on, exactly. on what we can treat, who we can treat. And most times people can't even afford to see us with their insurance because they have deductibles are so high. Right. And we're talking about addiction. Right. And that's even more complex. Exactly. Like my specialty is sex addiction. And that's not paid for. Exactly. Right. So, you know, we have to look at the other things that are fact, uh, impacting the client, like depression, and anxiety. Um, but that may not be the primary reason they're they're coming in. Right. 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 Um, and so I just was like so not happy with with that. Right. So I left. So I totally get so it. So how long were you doing that for? So I accepted insurance for probably like four years. Okay. Yeah, and I just cut the cord. Yeah. It's, I, it was like cutting cable out of my I life. Know. <laughs> I know. I right. <laughs> There's a support system. I know. <laughs> that just dawned on me because I cut cable a few years ago. Did you? Oh my goodness! I went through withdrawal. I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> I am an addict. Okay. <laughs> so am I. And here's, here's a story for you. I just bought the um, Amazon Fire stick. Oh, yeah. I have that. Yeah. And I, I just bought it. And I haven't plugged it in because I'm so <laughs> addicted to so much. And I've had it probably for a couple weeks. I mean, it's just like, yes. I can't do it. Oh, I know. I, I totally get it. I'm sure, you know, with all the... the computer and 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 tv stuff uh, am i gonna get some of the sh some of the things that i still need to get and is it gonna save me money or not right anyway. so let me tell you when i cut the cord from cable i made a list of every show i had in my recording so i could go find out where i could find them online okay oh my goodness <laughs> Well, and, I, and I'm very concerned about next year, next summer, Game of Thrones. I mean, I... I've love, never seen oh it. Oh, my gosh. I've never <laughs> seen it. I don't need another show to get <laughs> attached to. I just don't need it. I read the book, so I'm really... I'm very easily addicted to these shows. But, you know, addiction, we talk about addiction. I mean, we can become addicted to anything. Yes. Right? Yeah. 
people, places, things, what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, So who are the people who are showing up in your office? Is it mostly chemical addiction? Do you do behavioral addiction? Is it a mix? It's a mix. I, um, you know, my, my, as I said earlier that I am a Hakomi therapist, so I also work a lot with mindfulness-based um, working that way with clients and some people who are still drinking or you know still coming in I mean they don't come in drunk right but um, but I've had some clients who are struggling and I just sit have them sit in the gray area mm. and what's it like to be you know let's try an experiment let's see if you can go three days without picking anything up right what's that like for you how do you feel about it? What do you notice? What do you notice mm. what's going on in your life when you want to pick up? You know? Good question. I I have a client um, that I work with for a period of time. And, um, you know, I mean, this person's been coming in for a while and just happened to run into somebody by chance. And that per- other person was is sober. And they had uh, struck up a conversation, and she went to a meeting. I love when and, that happens. And it was like, and I said, you know, I go, there aren't any coincidences. Absolutely. by accident. There, yes. You know, when you're ready, the teacher will appear. Yes, yes. I've so. had people say that to me in terms of them reading my book, my memoir, mm-hmm. I Just Wanted mm-hmm. Love. I've had people reach out to me and say, when I read your book, I made a decision to go to a meeting. And, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything right. more than that, right? right. I, I mean, I'd take that over uh, New York Times bestseller yeah. any day, yeah. right? Because yeah. here's a person making a decision to to take care of themselves. Exactly. And that's why I wrote the thing, right? right? right. To tell people my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so me sharing about who I am in my process has also influenced the work that I do in my practice, right? So I'm wondering, like... What is, what is influencing your practice from your life? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I I mean, I I got sober when I was 23 years old and that certainly um influenced me to become a therapist. It okay. took me a while to get there. Um I I had our son my husband's and our son, who is now 17. Okay. Um, but when he was born, uh, he, I just, after about, I had postpartum depression, so there was that. Mm-hmm. That's when I got put on an antidepressant, which I was very resistant to, um, because the old school Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step programs are no, don't take anything. Right. No. Anything mood-altering. I, I literally was was like I was taking um, um, St. John's Wort instead. And I was doing I was doing some weird behaviors. And I knew it. I mean, I was conscious of it. But I still was, there was a part of me that was kind of enjoying the, the power of it, in a mm. sense. And, um, uh, and I kept talking. But fortunately for me, I, I, I'm a talker. And my naturopath, who had just recently gotten licensed, she said to me, she said, if you don't do something about this, I'm going to have to call CPS. Oh. Right. And I was like, okay, so this is really serious. And then I got put on uh, 
um, Zoloft at that time. And literally within three days, it was like the curtain went up Wow! for me. And it doesn't happen that way for a lot of people, but I knew there was definitely and always had chronic low grade depression. And um, so that, that, that was a good thing because prior to that experience of taking an antidepressant, I had been in and out of school, struggling every time I hit the hard place, which is usually about midterms. Yeah, for <laughs> but, most people. Right, I would bail. I would say, oh, you know, time to go oh, and man. give up. So that would impact my self-esteem. For sure. And um, so, so after that happened, within about six months after taking starting the antidepressant, I decided to go back to school. I remember holding our son and crying with him in my arms outside, standing in the driveway and telling my husband, I know I'm more than this. Mm. <laughs> and I don't mean anything um, about that moms aren't enough because we do a lot as mothers. Yeah. But that I know that there's a purpose in my life and I need to partake of that purpose. Right. And that is to help other people and be of service mm-hmm. in what way I can. And um, because I've, I have a ton, I'm going to say a shit, can I say? Yeah, absolutely. I have a shitload of experience. Okay, you know? yes. I mean, I really do. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, you know, I come from a, a family that's very dysfunctional. Um, I'm going to, I am going to get personal here. Um, you know, I was adopted, uh, at 11 months old and, uh, that's why attachment fascinates me. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, I was a sex, sexually molested when I was a child as well. Oh and I mean, you know, we survive a lot. We do. We do as, as addicts and it's like. How do we come out of these things uh, whole, you know? Right. Whole. Mm-hmm. And not fragmented and, you know, personality disorders or, you know, psych- psychotic. I mean, there are things that happen to people when they're, it's like their brain just can't hold it all. And that's not their fault. No, it's not. Not at all. So that's my life experience. That's what drew me into becoming a therapist. Um it took me soon after that I took the Zoloft, I started going back to school one class at a time. They'd also just opened up. I live north end of Lake Washington. They had just opened up Cascadia Community College. Thank God. Because, you know, going driving to Edmonds or Shoreline was such a struggle. You sure. know, and it, I mean, every day it was like a half an hour both ways for me and having an infant was difficult. I happened to meet a young woman in one of my math classes who was 18 at the time and she started babysitting our son and you know I mean we worked our schedules around each other so that we could you know work it out that she could make money and I could continue school and you know it was just one class at a time and then you know UW Bothell campus was there and and I just moved into that and I and by the time I got done with that I was like okay I'm gonna I'm going to go to LEOS, which is um, Leadership Institute of Seattle, and it was under the umbrella of Bastyr. Okay. And that's where I got my degree from, and um, yeah, so 
And I was just happened to be on the UW Bothell campus today. And, I, and my son was with me, and it was just like, you know, this is this is where I went to school. Yeah, it's come a long way. <laughs> and is he thinking of going to the same school? Um, <laughs> actually, he said, "Oh, I don't think I could go to school here, Mom." It's like, well, <laughs> we'll see. He wants to do. He wants to go to Cascadia for the first okay. year or two, and then go to wherever he happen, wants to go. Sure. I don't care. I'm just glad to hear that he wants to go. Right. So I'm hearing like so much progress in your life when you made a decision to take care of yourself. Exactly. Right. And that's what I try to tell my clients. It's like you coming in to ask for help is a big decision. Right. Pat yourself on the back. Right. right? Um, because uh, a lot of things are going to come up during during this process of therapy is what I tell people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here to support you and, and guide you. Um, and I encourage you to get more support. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Out into the community. Right. Yeah. Um, so our circle of therapists, right, we come from all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Some of us are really, you know, in my opinion, rigid in the work that we do. Some of us are more flexible. Uh, me, for instance, you know, I, I do a, a lot of different uh, things in my practice uh, from CBT. I'm person centered. You know, a lot of my folks in my audience doesn't know that. But what they do know is recovery. Right. right. So I bring that into the room. Right. I'm curious if that's uh, an element that you bring into your space. Absolutely. Okay. I absolutely. Let, I mean, I let my clients know that I've been in recovery for almost 30 years. Wonderful. I, I got sober when I was 23. And, and um, I think that that gives them a sense of comfort. Yes. You know, that I've been there, done that. And I do not in any way, shape or form um, push any 12 step program on anybody because I really feel like that is the, like like this example I gave earlier I mean it took her nine months you yeah. know to get to this place yeah and and she came to came in the office and said I met this person blah 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 you know I'm going yeah and so I thought that was cool you know yeah. I mean, it was like awesome and I don't want to get hooked into my my own emotional you know right. piece of it my counter transference and um, and and I just said I'm really happy for you. Let me know how it goes. You know, I love it. <laughs> and I where what what is what is that meaning? <laughs> so don't show up. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Seattle's pretty small, and I people know, do so not realize that. Yes, yes. yes. I, you will end up in the same space with a client. You know, it could be the grocery store or a meeting. Um, right. That happens, but you, we have a conversation about that if right. that comes up, right? Exactly. Um, I like that you can support people in their recovery journey wherever they are, mm-hmm. right? And sharing your story, right. um, for sure, I think is helpful, right. right? I don't go into specifics about yeah. my story, for sure. I mean, I don't think that's absolutely necessary. Sometimes people ask, and I'll, I said, well, you know, I'll share if this is helpful to you. Right. You know, but I don't necessarily want to go into a bunch of details about Chris, <laughs> which, which, you know, I mean, you know, if you ask me questions, I'll tell you. I mean, I'm just, I'm pretty open, so I, I don't want to, you know, go into the whole yeah. spiel of it. Because it's not about us. Right. Right. But, you know, for, for me, a lot of clients come in knowing my story because they've picked up my book. Right. Right. Or they've, they've heard me talk, you know, whether that was at a meeting or wherever, mm-hmm. and people find me they search for me 
Yeah. And so that's a different experience to have. And so that a little bit of that goes outside of uh, focused on the cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's really centered on that recovery piece. And and I check in with their recovery. How is that sponsorship working out for you? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, How's how's the the meetings for you? Is that a good fit? for you and I think they really appreciate right. that that they know I know what they're talking right. about right you're right DJ and I I appreciate that as well as I one of the things that I tend to do with people for example you know when a when a new client comes in the door I always say hey come at least six times you know to check me out okay right? if it doesn't feel right right off the bat then we'll both probably need to you know have a conversation about that but I, that's you know this is something I learned in AA is just go to the same meeting six times don't don't judge it you know don't judge don't judge a book by its cover yes you might find that there's something in there that you you appreciate or some person will show up that you know wasn't going to be there that week because they were on vacation or something right. that might be your sponsor you know you just don't that's know that's true I like that yeah so that's what I offer to them and then I say mm. after that then we'll you know if you want to we'll go to every two weeks or whatever your schedule allows for coming into therapy but I say that's how you're going to get to know each other and build that trust and that rapport and um, you know and that's not necessarily people that are coming in for addiction issues it's just a matter of check me out yeah because you don't always know that they're coming in to address addiction because people are have a lot of shame and anxiety around talking about their struggles and they may not indicate that on an intake form exactly right that might be something you find out three weeks later so i like that you invite them to to check you out for six sessions and see how that feels for them right no pressure exactly i don't want to that's the last thing i want to do is put pressure on people and make them feel uncomfortable i mean the minute you do that they're out the door you know right and i mean pressure scares people yeah (laughs) it it does (laughs) i wish more people in our community of therapists talked about their own uh, addiction history and recovery I think, um, you know, we are people in positions of power, I think, when we're sitting across from someone else, we're there to help them. And I think we don't have to do it in session, but we could do things like blogging, podcasting, uh, writing books to share our own experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people do, but I know some people are just really hesitant. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder how, you know, what your thoughts are about that. That's interesting. I... I've actually thought about writing a book okay. uh, before, and um, and then of course in my you know the thinking half starts happening. Uh huh. Right? Am I good enough? Well, is my story story interesting enough? Am I um, is what I have to say of value? Uh, and um, you know, I may do it someday. I I appreciate how much you do, <laughs> but you know. There may be um, a child coming on board that might change. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like, you know. I when we become parents, that will probably change. Shift a little. Yes, the conversation's happening around that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, how much am I going to have time for? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's just the truth. You right. know, can I still podcast? Can I? You know, baby might be crying. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, baby comes first. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Always comes first. Yeah, absolutely. So. 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there, there are many things that I've thought about. And also, how do you get through the tough places in sobriety and stay sober? You know, I mean, mm. our son, when he was uh, three, had to have open heart surgery. Oh, wow. And this was something that we did not, you know, know that we didn't know he had a heart uh, defect. And the, <laughs> the bedside manner of the doctor who told us was horrible. Uh. And he just, I mean, was very matter of fact. And it was and my husband and I were just like in shock. And um, I can remember walking through Children's Hospital holding our little boy's hand. And all I could think of, you know, was my baby's going to be cut and he's going to have this scar. And, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, that was horrible. But it was also, they're going to fix him. He's going to be okay. But I, I, and then, of course, what if he dies? You know, I mean, it was horrible. It was just a horrible, horrible time. I just can't imagine. And, but we got through it. I mean, and I I remember calling my, um, my aunt who lives in Ballard, and, you know, we were talking before we started this conversation of not our families being far away and um, and creating our family. Yes. And my aunt and uncle, who have been a big part of my life, my whole life, uh, but really stepped forward into our lives more when our son was born and um, just... Um, I mean, for example, I can I can think of when I was 19 years old and my aunt and uncle invited me to come out here. I lived in Florida at the time and I was lost. I was completely lost and didn't know where I was going to go and what I was going to do when I grow, grew up. And um, my parents weren't pushing going to college or anything. I mean, it was just like there was no um, connection, like yeah. no groundedness. And, um, and that had to do with my addiction as well, uh, because I was, you know, back then, this was back in the 80s, and I lived in Florida. Well, guess what was prevalent then? You know, lots of white powder. <laughs> oh, and, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was getting... Heavy stuff. That. Yeah. At a young age. Very. And you started when? I started drink. I had my first drink, I think, when I was nine holy cow but it was you know i had two older brothers and they they it was my dad's i can remember specifically you know it was my dad's 40th birthday and i was uh sandria yeah you know and and my brothers had me drink some and and had then made me run around the house well i don't remember anything yeah right um and you know so and of course it was spaced out it wasn't like i started drinking and i couldn't stop then right you know, time goes over, but um, my my thirteenth birthday, I I really got rip roaring drunk, and mm. I mean rip roaring drunk, where my brothers were trying to shove me through the window, and um, some guy was trying to have sex with me, and my brother pulled him off of me, and you Good know, Lord. I know it's like it's a lot going on. I know. So yeah. anyway, so just that time period. So let me get back to my point of my aunt and uncle and. Um, being 19 years old and I came out here then and immediately I was well I was going to Shoreline Community College I guess this was 1980 
84. I was going to exaggerate and 83, 84, 85. And, um, and I went out, I started working at a restaurant down on Shulshul. And of course, you know, drinking is pretty prevalent in restaurant workers yep. and partying. And I started partying and then I started skipping school and sleeping in my car mm. at, um, Golden Gardens, <laughs> sleeping in my car and, uh, and then, you know, pretending like I wasn't, like I was going to school and I wasn't. And I mean, so it's just, you start the, the ball starts rolling with yep. the addiction. It's like you start partying, doing the thing, then the lies start and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, I can remember my aunt who, uh, stayed up one night waiting for me five o'clock in the morning and I came in and, and she was sitting there at the kitchen table and she just looked at me and you know we talked we sat down and we talked and and she said you know you can't be a party girl all your life Chris and I mean I remember those words of like oh my gosh you know somebody is seeing what's happening in my life And it was important. Yeah. It was important enough for her to wait up waiting for me, to be worried about me, and to say those words. Mm. It took me a few more years to figure things out, but I finally hit my knees, and I was done. I, I went into using meth and um, just being in places that was, I mean, you look at me, I'm <laughs> being in places that I was like, how did I get here? You know? Yeah. I mean, that's where drugs and alcohol take you and wow. you kind of go, wow, yes. how am I doing this stuff? But you had someone important in your life say something very powerful to you that you, it sounds like maybe you held on to. Um, I did. You know? That help that kind of helped you get to to the place where you had to get on your knees, yeah. right? Right. And maybe believe that you know she would still be there for you, right? Right. right. I think we need that. Yeah. We need that. Yeah. Do you think it was the the change in environment and maybe the stresses or being in college that maybe got you to the place where you were vulnerable to addiction? Was there was there more? No, I think it was just a habit more than anything else. It was just um, the the habitual, like, this is what I do to yeah. run away from myself and to run away from the pain mm-hmm. that I had grown up with and, um, and that I grew up with in a family where, you know, I mean, I had been sexually molested several times and just stuff just kept happening, you know, and that I, um, as I said earlier, I was adopted at 11 months old, so who knows what happened in that time frame. There was no attachment figure whatsoever for me, and so, you know, I mean, it's difficult for me to attach these days, you know, and keep those, keep that connection and stay uh, anchored, so to speak. Yeah, we have to continuously look at that, that attachment piece, and I know lots more research comes out about attachment mm-hmm. and relation mm-hmm. to addiction. Right. 
Um, it is very powerful, right. right? If we don't have that primary attachment, uh, we're liable to attach to just about anything, exactly. right? Exactly. To, to cope. Right. I read, um, I can't, I'm probably going to say his name wrong. Gabor Mate. Yes, yes. yes. Gabor, I think is how you say his first name. Okay. I like Gabor better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's Hungarian. Okay. All right. And I read his book, and this was just a few years ago, and it changed me as far as how I looked at addiction and what was really going on for people that have addiction, whether it's sexual addiction or or you know alcohol and drugs or video gaming or whatever that it is about attachment yes for reals yes <laughs> for reals yes and i was just like oh my god this makes so much sense and and um and having been adopted you know i could see that piece that was missing for me and even though when I was 29, after I was six years sober, I, um, I did get to meet my birth mother. Wow. I sought her out. I found her. And, um, you know, I don't think that people that go into to seeking out a, a, a biological family member, I don't think that they're completely aware <laughs> of what their, what their expectations are. Yep. And, um, and after the fact, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I still have contact with her, but it was, it was not noted or understood for me that I had these expectations that she was going to fulfill something inside of me that I needed to fulfill myself. Yeah. And I mean, we have, we're not close, but I would say that when she tells me that she loves me, I can take it in. Okay. You know, I yeah. can take it in. And before, when it, at first, when she would tell me that, I'm like, you don't even know me. How can you love me? You don't know me. Well, now I'm a mom, and I can understand that. Right. You know? Yeah. I can understand that love of, I know I hurt you by giving you away, and I still love you, you mm. know? And I know you're going to hurt me because you're angry with me, but I still love you. Yeah. And that's what she's given me. Wow, yeah. that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to go back to something you just said about something within yourself that you had to, to meet, that, that need, right? And w what I've learned is that our parents are primarily responsible for informing us of our worth. Right. And if at any moment... Or any time that they are unable to do that for whatever reason, they could have died, we could have been adopted, there could have been war, mm -hmm. they were working three jobs, it didn't matter, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if we didn't get that information from them that we were worthy, exactly. it's like, it, it destroys us, right. Right? right? And then we spend our lives trying to fill this God-sized hole, exactly. right? right? And that's where our self-worth lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we spend the rest of our lives, you know, trying to do that in a healthy way mm -hmm. by connecting with a higher power or a 12-step group mm -hmm. or going to therapy or creating new families that we can trust. Right. That's a lot of work. It's, we, get, we, got, we got stuck with a lot of work, DJ, God. I must say. You know, I've told people, I think we're superhuman sometimes. I really yeah. do. Uh, yeah. Us addicts, because we go through a lot. Right. 
and a lot of us get back up every time right, right? And exactly. we keep fighting for what we believe in exactly. and that is that we're worthy it's mm-hmm. just that we don't always have the awareness of that's what we're doing right i always remember you know people always saying in in the meetings oh shit happens you know and i'm like i like to look at it as hey you know what life happens yeah it's what you do with it when you pick yourself up and move forward right that's what matters you mm-hmm. know this thing happened you know i had breast cancer a few years ago it was a i, I hate to say this but it was like a mild case of okay. that right and i remember sitting on the on the bed at home i was driving home after i'd gotten this news and i was like why me you know i'm a good person i've done all this work I, you know, I mean, I really have struggled to, to, to maintain and get a life and build a right. practice and, you know, really like stay sober. Yes. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and I started crying, went to the grocery store and I'm like, I'm crying on the way home and I can't stop crying. And, and I go in the bedroom and my husband comes and sits next to me and I'm like, and he just put his arm around me. And I just was like, I don't know why God would do this, but I got through it. I lived right. through it. And that's what matters is that I'm okay and I can share that with other women or men because men get it too. Yes, yes. And and survive. Right. Know? So you had another gift to give. Yeah, I did think of it as a gift at the time. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't think of it as a gift at, a, at the time, but, but it, no, it really I, is. You know, I can see that as, I mean, I've had a myriad of experiences in my life that are just pretty intense, but yeah. powerful. Yeah. So maybe I do have a book in there somewhere. I think you have a book. <laughs> yes, I think you have a book, right? Yeah. Because I, I think it is important for us to look at to look at our addiction and our recovery as gifts, mm-hmm. because that's why I do the things that I do. You know, people comment about DJ, you got this, this, and this, and I'm like, yeah, I do all that so I can help other people. Right. 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 But you know, there is a selfish piece in there too because it does help me. Exactly. Right. It, it helps me stay sober. It does. Right? right. It's just like what they say in the 12 steps. You know, we want to give it back. So we become sponsors and, you know, and we pass it on. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also get to do that as a therapist. I get to do that as a podcast host. I get to do that as an author. Exactly. Right. right. Uh, as a speaker. Uh, I can keep creating how I want to give that back. Right. If I want. Right. Right. And I can also pull it in, too, and say, you know, I'm going to take a break and take and do some self-care. Mm-hmm. Right. And I make sure that that's a priority because when it's not, I'm crazy. Right. You know, yeah. right? right. I Crazy making right. is, is, is a thing. Right. Oh, yeah. So I think we have Just... a lot of gifts to, to keep giving people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we interact with so many people in our profession. Um and we have to continue to do our work so we can help them, right? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, I don't know anyone who won't benefit from some therapy, right? right? We all could benefit from therapy. Right. Whether it's one session or you're going weekly for a year, it right. doesn't matter. Right. 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 Oh, I think, I think any therapist that's worth their, their salt needs therapy. Needs yes. To, so they can hold the container for the other people that are coming into their office. I believe that. You know, it's, I, I've had instances where my own stuff is spilling out into the room, mm-hmm. not necessarily verbally, but I can feel it or whatever right. happening and that I need to be in therapy so that I can have that container 
so they hold the boundaries for my clients right. because if there's stru structure for them, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the reason people go to treatment, they don't know this, but <laughs> the reason they go to treatment is for that structure. Yes. You know, because it gets set up. Yep. You know, I mean, it's purposely set up in a way that they have to do these things every day. You know, a lot of people are, you know, they freaking hate it, whatever, mm -hmm. that it sets that ball in motion of, oh, I got to get up and go to work or, oh, you know, I got to go to a meeting, you know, that's certain yep. things. And a lot of addicts, alcoholics um, don't have, are very undisciplined people. Very, that is true. You know, the big book talks about us being undisciplined and that we need to, you know, be accountable, you know, to the group, to a sponsor, to helping other people. I mean, there, that's what this deal is about. And um, anyway, so, yeah. That is true. I mean, before I got in recovery, I had no accountability because I didn't think anyone cared. Right. right? Um, so if you didn't care about me, I didn't need to be accountable. Right. right. So that was at work. That was at home. That was wherever. Right. right? But now it's like I live by my schedule. Right. If, it, if it's not I, in my calendar. I know it ain't happening. Uh, no. <laughs> we were supposed to go to an event last week. And I see on Facebook that one of my friends and colleagues is at the event. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on my calendar. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Whoops. I know. So I told my partner, I was like, you didn't put it on my calendar. Right. So we just sat in the house, right? <laughs> and we didn't go. And we didn't go. <laughs> but I got to see the pictures because uh, okay. other people were there. So that was good. Well, that didn't happen to be Brené, did it? No, okay. I didn't go to that okay. either. <laughs> I saw her a couple of years ago. She cool. Was awesome. Yeah, she you know, it has been a delight to sit here and chat with you. Yeah, Is I this... could talk all day. Uh, I could too. That's why I have two podcasts. <laughs> but it has been a joy. I appreciate you coming in and being so authentic and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with my audience. Thanks. Where can people find you? Can Do you have a website? I'm... Okay. So, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I have... I have, you know, I have my psychology today, and then I also have on the Fremont Healing Arts website okay. there where they can find me. Um, and I'm currently working with somebody who is a writer friend who edits my writing for me. Oh, and she's like, you're not, you're a great writer, Chris. I mean, what you see, what you hear in my voice, this is the voice that I use in my writing. It's just very authentic. It's yes. who I am. That's how I show up, and what I what I would put on my my website. I just have a hard time presenting myself in that way. Mm. So this is, I've been paying for my URLs for, oh, probably six years and still don't have a website. Oh my I'm word. I'm just admitting it, okay? Yes. I'm just like, this is called a work in progress and putting myself out there. So this is what I do. Absolutely. I also work with couples a lot. Oh, good. That's good to that know. Is, I do work with couples and um, I've been trained in PACT, okay. which is the psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Yeah. I just wanted to say that because I love working with couples and the way I work with them and the way what PACT is, is it about attachment and about your brain and how you connect with people, yes. your partner. And what happens? And it is all 
oh, it's all about how you grew up and yep. what you experienced and how you're going to show up with your partner, whether you believe that or not. It is so true. It is you so asked true. Me earlier on in this conversation, what influences my work? Well, I'm married. I've been married for almost 27 years. As a matter of fact, next week, Yay. Uh, 27. That's really, you know, it's been a long time. Yeah. And we don't always get along. You That's know, okay. We struggle with each other. <laughs> and it's been that way, you know, from not not from day one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was it happens. all the passion. And yeah, all, the all stuff, that stuff. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But, but this type of therapy and the way we work with each other, I mean, like right now we're facing each other. Yeah. This is what we do in PAC therapy. Oh, great. We face each other. I didn't even know. Yeah. We look at each other. And... It's uncomfortable at times, you know, sure. that's that attachment piece. Like I'm, my eyes are looking in your eyes. Yeah. It can be kind of scary mm -hmm. to have a therapist over there saying, okay, now look at your husband and say these words, you know, <laughs> or do this thing. And it's very experiential as well. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I'm so drawn to it because Hakomi is a very experiential uh, type of therapy. So I'm sending some folks your way. Thank you. Yes, Thank you absolutely. Um, and then I'll give them a link to the Fremont Healing Arts awesome. uh, page um, so they can find you. Yeah. Right. Thank and then as soon as your website is up, let me know. I will. Okay. It's coming. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with my gal next month in October. So Good. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining me for Making an Addict. Thank you for joining the discussion today on Making an Addict. In closing, I want you to understand that there are various opinions about addiction and what makes someone an addict. The opinions expressed here on today's show are those of the person who made them. I suggest you take what you heard, process it, and decide for yourselves what you believe in. If you have feedback or want to tell your story on the show, let me know by emailing makinganaddict at gmail.com or you can reach me on social media. Again, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at DJBurr1022 and TheDJBurr on Instagram. Lastly, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service. Recovery saved my life and I will be forever grateful. I will keep giving back every opportunity I am given. Tune in next time to witness our ongoing discussion on Making an Addict.